We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Cold Jack the Night Stalker episode, The Legacy of Terror. Now, I have to tell you that uh, many, many years ago, we're going to do my synopsis here, uh, they used to show episodes of Cold Jack the Night Stalker on what they called the CBS Late Movie, which was just basically a very cheap um, late night show where they would take old TV shows, add 10 extra minutes of commercials so that they would run 70 or 80 <laughs> minutes long and show them again. And they had this very distinctive guy doing the voice tonight on the CBS late movie. And every time I see legacy of terror, I can hear his voice so clearly in my head. It's funny. It's, I guess it's just the combination of words and the dramatic delivery and, and whatnot. But that, that just, just comes at tonight. Cold check up legacy of terror. Anyway. But the, the right. leg, legacy of terror to me makes me fear the Avengers episode Legacy of Death, which is an absolutely dire piss take of uh, the Maltese Falcon. So anything that begins Legacy of something, I'm now wary of. That must be a uh, Kathy Gale. No, no, it's much, much. Uh, the, there are no Kathy Gale episodes anything like as bad as that. So Tara King episode. Wow, I, f- I did not know there was a pastiche of the Maltese Falcon. And maybe I do and just never even realized that's what it was supposed to be. But, it would uh, be hard to miss. The uh, the Sydney Green Street impression is very oh, obvious. Well, and uh, You know, there very, are very people bad. who have not seen Citizen Kane until recently. So it's possible, it's possible there are people who have not seen the Maltese Falcon. <laughs> ah, I <laughs> see what you mean. <laughs> As possible, I'm just saying. I, it's out there going up thing. <laughs> well, let's well, get on with this episode. Have something to look forward to. Yes, someone, someone does. I'm not saying who. I'm not saying who. A football player has his heart cut out with a dull knife. Shortly thereafter, a decorated war hero sees a giant chicken man and hears a flute. Not in that order. And has his heart cut out. Kolchak is on to a new series of murders, although he's supposed to be at a hotel at a press convention schmoozing it up with publishers on behalf of Tony Vincenzo. Oddly enough, one of the people he meets at the hotel is subsequently one of the murder victims, a decorated female Air Force pilot. Strangely, this hotel happens to be run by Aztecs, and every 52 years... They sacrifice a bunch of people and culminating with their vice president in charge of beautiful secretaries and playing the flute, who is an insipid youth, but very well treated within the company. It turns out he is the perfect sacrifice. And at the end of the terror ceremony, he voluntarily will give his life. Kolchak talks him out of it and... Then the mummy comes to life and tries to kill him. But fortunately, Venus comes out at the end and the mummy disappears or becomes inanimate. The end. <clears throat> it's a, a, a yeah. <clears throat> I didn't prepare that uh, synopsis, folks. That was extemporaneous. I'm telling you. Which is probably how they how they actually wrote the thing. <laughs> it's 
possible that there was some of that in the book. So what did you think of this episode, Simon? Um, well, I, I was, I was kind of, I was going to rely on your, um, synopsis there to, to fill in some of my questions about plot holes. Oh, good. Well, Uh, you can just ask me and then we can (laughs) fill them in together. (laughs) The, the, I suppose if I, I suppose if I was going to pull out something that I enjoyed about it, there was, uh, some of the atmospherics in this are quite good. You know, the, 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 this, it, for once after the horrors of the past couple of episodes the score is quite uh, well put together appropriate and then it has uh, as part of the the aztec plot it has this kind of flute music and there's a lot of marking time particularly in the final scenes in the stadium but i think that they are made more atmospheric creepy and effective by the the fact that you've got this kind of flute music uh, mm-hmm. playing along with it so i and 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 the horror stuff with you know the particularly the the reveal of the mummy when Coltrack is locked in the cupboard is quite sort of it's a nice bit of horror. So I think from that point of view, the the episode scores Ha-ha. in terms of sorry nice. score because of score. You like the score, the music score, the episode score. score. Oh, score! Yes. yes, I thought you were. I thought you were going for something to do with being in a sports stadium. There, um, <laughs> well, see that works too. <laughs> I, and I had uh, no, honestly, no pun intended. But uh, in terms, of, so in terms of the plot, I guess. I guess before we come on to some of the um, some of the kind of social aspects of this, which I think are, are quite interesting. There are some technical questions that I have, which is, um, I mean, obviously, for one thing, they're coming back to this thing, which turns out to be quite a, a popular thing in, in Kolchak of the, the kind of cycle, the, re- the recurring mm-hmm. villain over history where um, until Kolchak comes along, there's, there's killings every so often. And it appears in this case, there are going to be further killings because... As Kolchak says, you know, he won't be around in 50 years. But that's only 10 years hence for us now. Well, and Darren McGavin is dead, so... He was right, but we should be scared, shouldn't we? Yes, yes. <clears throat> um, what, 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 I was, what I was wondering was, um, where, in order for him to be revived, there have to be these uh, hearts cut out... And the last of them has to be this willing victim mm-hmm. who has, for a year, so for some time prior to the hearts being cut out, has been benefiting from this deal that basically sets him up as a god with unlimited wealth, uh, three women, uh, and the ability to play the flute really well, which is, you know, as as these things go, it's a pretty cool kind of skill to be dishing out. I'm not sure Goethe uh, got that, uh, Faust got that. Um, I think he had to learn it, though. I don't think it was like magically. He had to learn it. Yeah. So you mean he was gi- he was given he he was forced to endure le- in lessons, and that was it. That he he, he masters it in any in a year. I don't know how hard it is to learn to play the flute, but well, I <laughs> don't know. But he played he played it better than I ever played the recorder, and I did that for several years. So much much to the pain of everyone in my family, but. Um, my real question about this is, how did that deal get set up? That's a that's a good question. 
did um, the mummy did the mummy have enough residual en- energy to pop out of his coffin and go around conducting some sort of recruitment drive for okay, the victims? Okay, so now, my impression was, in fact, I, this is one of the things I was going to uh, ask you about <clears throat> in terms of plot holes. I totally did not expect the mummy to pop up at the end. I did not expect him to stand up and attack Kolchak. I, my impression all the way through this was it was entirely Anderson or whatever his original Hispanic name was and his cronies running the hotel that this was 100% not supernatural up until that okay. point. That, well, that would have been know, a twist. You know, his organization went out and found some guy and recruited him to take the job. And, you know, that's just that's what they were. That's what they were doing. And so when the high priest with a knife ran off chasing Poncherello there, um, by the way, the guy who was the perfect sacrifice is played by Eric Estrada, who soon went on for fame to be Poncherello or Ponch in TV show called Chips. So if I <laughs> refer to him as Ponch, that's why, because he's indelibly in my mind, I see him in that character. Typecast uh, forever. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I really thought that this was all about the, the acolytes, the, hu- the very human acolytes doing all of this to keep the mummy you know, that they killed him and then they dripped the blood on the mummy, expecting in 52 years hence for him to, at the millennium, to actually revive. And so when mm-hmm. he stood up at the end, that was a complete surprise to me. Like, oh, didn't didn't see that coming. Thought the big chicken guy was going to be the uh, thing, which, you know. Upon reflection, for a show like Kolchak, it makes sense. It does have to be a reanimated dead body, uh, but yeah, I I just I didn't see it coming. So no, I I didn't have any problem with the recruitment. I just assumed that they found somebody stupid enough to go along with that deal. And I think it was abundantly clear that that Pepe, as he's called in the show, uh, was a, abundantly that stupid. To yes. And, and, you know, there's a little bit of commentary about the the social position of people like him who have no real prospects in life or, or may feel that they have no prospects in life. And, and would you take that deal? Yeah, I mean, I've that. So, those, so, so some of the some of these aspects I thought were quite interestingly handled because I wasn't quite sure how to take it, given that, you know, you're watching a, a a show that is 42 years old or whatever mm-hmm. it is and you have that scene in the hotel lobby and the and the, and the whole hotel thing i take it was purely a, an unexplained coincidence yep that it you know it was taking place in the same place that uh, vincenzo was going around seeking these subscriptions but you have this scene in the hotel where pepe comes through and uh, is 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 kind of uncouth towards the uh to the, the the military types and we're supposed to be very kind of taken aback by that but it's not obvious to me as a viewer in 2017 why we're supposed to be taken aback by that i mean there are a couple of possibilities one is the the most immediate one that springs to mind is 
here's a kind of spoilt rich brat who is being very disrespectful but whose father or whatever must be incredibly wealthy because why else is he vp of the hotel Mm -hmm. but the other one of course is how come a latino is in a position of such authority that's what people are being taken aback by in much the same way as they're busy being taken aback by the fact that a woman has risen to the to the rank of captain in the air force i i was i was pleased in that scene because they kept asking her questions and the men just kept stepping all over her answers and I was kind of like, well, clearly the producers are trying to show us they're making a point. They're, they're making <laughs> yes. a relatively progressive point right there for, for 1975 about how women are treated. And the fact that the executive, the PR person from the hotel actually said it out loud kind of I, – I kind of rooted for it at the moment. But I wasn't expecting it. And then I got to thinking well, about it, and I said, well, you'd have to do that because nobody would have noticed in 1975 if somebody didn't speak up well, about yes. it. But, but my observations about that would be also the point is made by the, the PR uh, woman, I forget the character's name, but she then goes on to have a, have a later scene, so her character gets a bit more developed. And I would say for this show relatively sympathetically but captain timmons never gets to finish her sentences it's not just the other the other men are stepping all over it it's that the writers never let her finish her sentences we the audience never get to hear what she has to say her sole role in that is in order to provide a a, a feed for this line saying you know you're not letting her speak so in some sense there's a bit of having a cake and eating it there and then late, uh, later on in the scene, the, the, the PR lady who appears to have some authority in the fact that she can kind of step in and, and say to one of these people who is a major, stop talking over the captain. But when she's speaking to Kolchak, she's actually, she's very, she's very clearly only going to speak to him totally off the record because she's worried about losing her job so right there 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 is a there is a sense that while while there is an intention here to to show what women are facing and that women are capable of you know doing these jobs like being a captain in the air force and so on and that and that there is somewhere further to go inadvertently the writers are still putting them in their place and there isn't a kind of there isn't a kind of real interest in giving the female characters in the story anything serious to do. All right, I think that's a fair criticism. I think that's a fair criticism. I think, but, but in a Kolchak story, most people don't have anything meaningful to do except provide Kolchak with some info. And info yeah. don't. So, yeah. And I know. kind of say that's a, a problem with. Kolchak <laughs> but yes point point taken what, what you know what am I looking for who who actually does get a decent uh, 
role in this, apart from obviously Darren McGavin, mm-hmm. and I guess to some extent the the kind of regular the regular cast, um, and Miss Emily, of course, is the 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 one w- woman in that regular cast, not in this one, as it happens. Yeah, I think that um, there is a pattern, and we're, I think we're well far enough into the series to to see it pointed out that every character that Kolchak goes to to get information, in this case, the taxidermist or the professor at the university, they are all set up very quickly with broad strokes. Yeah. As to what they're all quirky. They've almost always got some sort of a quirk or a thing or something so that they can shorthand them as a character that Kolchak is talking to. And then and then we discard them and they're gone out of the episode. Which I which I think has to be has to be influenced by the Avengers who made an art form out of the quirky That's true. character. Um, you know, not not ju- not just broad strokes, but also quite uh, weird or eccentric in some way. And particularly the, the the taxidermist in this one is quite sort of peculiar in his behaviour. And that's true. That's very Avengers. And Avengers is one instance of a British show in 1975 that I guarantee that the writers of Kolchak have watched. Well, yes, because. Well, at least the later seasons, but that's yes. kind of well, particularly those are the ones where with this the, is true. The broader characters, yes, yes. yeah, and the, the the one the ones where uh, you know a particular feature would be made of the one or two eccentrics of of, of the week. Now, the the thing about the Avengers doing that, as far as I'm concerned, is that not always, but often, those quirky characters were really quite funny and interesting and endearing and enjoyable to watch <laughs> okay <laughs> you no i'm not I'm, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with it they are but do you know what what they are to me Go when on. i watch those episodes they are endearingly british eccentrics they okay. all they all come off as british eccentrics you go ah, it's the british they have british accents <laughs> well it's not just I that see. it's just it's just you kind of we're all like that <clears throat> yeah I mean, <laughs> that's, that's where we all, that's where we got our impression of what the British were like in, uh, in, in the 60s and 70s era. So well, is. I'm not. I'm like Steed, I'll have you know. Exactly like Steed. <clears throat> okay, and that's a good one to aspire to, I will say. But, uh, the, I mean, I think, I think my, my point about this is uh, it, it's ab- absolutely not, because watching it, watching it as a Brit... Um, I'm not. I'm not looking at those British eccentrics and thinking the, the defining characteristic of them is they're British. So it's absolutely not saying you can't do exactly the same thing in Kolchak, but with American eccentrics instead. It's yeah, just that the eccentricity of this character was not very interesting, and the dialogue was not very witty. So you ended up with him alternately being flattered and then being obstructive according to whether Kolchak was pushing the right willing, button at that moment yeah, yeah. Well, push, pushing the right buttons or 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 you know being being too being too in, interrogative so it felt to me like they were aiming at the the Avengers thing and fell quite a long way short okay I, I will just say for the record 
in the United States, we do not have eccentrics. We have whack jobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a subtle difference. And eccentrics are endearing. Whack jobs are annoying or dangerous. So I'm just saying. <laughs> We don't have endearing eccentrics. So uh, everyone on Kolchak who is supposed to be, except maybe, except maybe um, um, Spanish moss murders, little, little Jewish Italian guy. Oh, yes, yes. He was kind of endearing. Another Pepe, yeah. He stands out as memorable of all the people Kolchak has gone to talk to. Pepe Shapiro or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily describe him as being, an Avengers style eccentric because I think the Avengers characters were pretty two dimensional and unusually for Kolchak. It felt it, the, that that performance felt like it had a little bit more depth to it. Mm-hmm. So I mean I think that that was a particularly good memorable character in in, in Kolchak. But that's not to say you know you can't you can't do something interesting. And the good Kolchak episodes do stand on having good guest characters um in them Mm. it's it's just that that does that does require some wit to the dialogue and more entertaining eccentrics than this and it and it felt to me like the 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 whole idea of going to a taxidermist was quite a forced it it wasn't obvious to me why you would go and yeah. make a taxidermist your first port of call in this, other than that they wanted to get someone in it who was someone who stuffed animals because that's an eccentric thing to do, apparently. Well, th- this is not the first time we've mentioned that. Kolchak going to the guard dog trainer to find out what the yes the dog was. It's like, okay, that's a that's a weird one, but that's the way they... That's part of the way they play this game on the show. I... You know, talking about the fact that they draw these characters out with something, I think part of what makes the captain and the PR woman is that what they're drawing out about them is the the fact that they have to put up with the world, the man's world, which is not a fun yeah. thing. I mean, it, it is the broad stroke that they draw the characters so we can we can get, you know, we get the captain right away. She's a decorated pilot that isn't allowed to go into combat or finish her sentences. We got that. And the PR woman is apparently must be good at her job, but at the same time, she still has to be on, you know, light feet to, to avoid. Of course, I could see how anybody talking to Kolchak about this, about bad mouthing their, their golden boy might be a poor move on your career. Yes. Yes. Because Kolchak is, in some ways, not the kind of person who protects his sources. I and, wonder. Well, in the in the sense that he's not careful. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I could see that. I could see that. I thought there was some... Um, oh, well, while we're talking about the characters, let's talk about the police chief. Or the police captain, or whatever okay. he is. The lieutenant, or whatever in this episode. He's He's a pretty nondescript one yeah but he didn't seem stupid or unreasonable in this no this story that was you know he was you know i was talking to the press i've always been fair with you guys but you know we're keeping some details back 
that's not an unreasonable thing. We know the police do that in certain types of cases that they hold back. Yes, certain and, he, and he was and he was giving giving the reason for it, which is yes, treat, um, tr- treating the press like grown ups, like grown ups. And when unfortunately when, one of them is Kolchak. <laughs> but when he caught Kolchak, Kolchak hit him with a bunch of questions, and his response was wasn't just shut up, get out of here. He says, you are full of good questions in a way that made me infer that those were all questions on his mind too. Yeah. The things that Kolchak was asking, they're absolutely good questions. I'm not going to answer them, but you know, I'm not, I'm not treating you like a crackpot here. I'm just treating you like a guy who broke into a crime scene that you're not supposed to be at. So in that respect, the only thing that really kind of went off for me about this police guy I really don't know what his rank is, was when Kolchak told him they he was hit by a chicken and the guy was like, what? And he uh, never mind and ran off. I don't think I would have let Kolchak <laughs> run off there. And I don't think Kolchak had any reason not to, because I don't think Kolchak thought that was a real chicken. I, I assume Kolchak yes, knew that yes. was a man in a chicken costume or a you know, feathery outfit. Why not say that? Why didn't he just well, say that to the cop? It's like the guy was literally wearing a feathered cloak. And a mask. Like, okay. I mean, they already know he's a, nut, a nutso. So, <laughs> it's like... Kolchak you know. comes, comes at the police captain like he's he's got a point to prove and he's not going to be cooperative about it. And I think you're right. By and large, he's not unreasonable in response, although he stops taking Kolchak's calls. Yeah, which underlines my point that I kind of make again and again about how counterproductive it is for for Kolchak to mm-hmm. behave in this way because and and Vincenzo doesn't get that he he says you see why credibility is important like he thinks that the fact that Kolchak is chasing around after paranormal solutions to these things is the reason why the police have stopped taking his calls well it might be if Kolchak was civil to his police contacts but since he's not his rudeness is quite clearly the primary reason why they're not taking his calls and and Vincenzo should be saying you see why civility is important that's interesting because I thought when I heard that line I thought, oh, Simon just gave a, just stood up and clapped that somebody finally <laughs> said that to Kolchak. That somebody finally called him out and said, you need, you know. Because to me, I wasn't seeing it as Kolchak's rudeness to the police that gets him into trouble. My mind is going back to the fact that Kolchak is constantly telling them complete crazy talk. So, well, but, I can but see. Right. I can see. You're right. I can see how that would be an issue. I can see how that could be an issue, but I don't see how it gets to be an issue when Kolchak is running around calling a police captain a dum dum. That's true. That's because it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter how much credibility his theories had or whatever if he was behaving like that. It it would be virtually impossible to conduct any sort of vaguely professional relationship with the man i mean i would consider that part of your credibility too though i mean donald well, Trump has certainly... no credibility because he's constantly calling people names that's one of the men yes, one of and... many reasons why he has no credibility whatsoever <laughs> yeah. and it, but yeah and also he's an idiot 
Well, I mean, he's, he's ignorant yeah. and, and stupid. Yes. But uh, not, <laughs> not, not to feel free. Political, <laughs> you know, um, other presidential candidates are available and all that. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I think... I think it doesn't help his his credibility, but credibility isn't the first thing I would consider when you're kind of looking at why this relationship isn't working. Well, I think this and captain in particular, or lieutenant or whatever he is, because Kolchak never gave him any crazy ideas. Kolchak mentioned well, no crazy chicken, ideas yeah. to that, that policeman. Whereas in other cases, you know, once he leads off with, you got yourself a zombie here or something, then they, you know, then they can tune him yeah. out. But I mean, it, my, my, my interpretation of Vincenzo's comment was that that was based on reputation. Yeah. But uh, I, I guess you could read it either way. But the other, the other kind of major problem with this kind of... it. Obviously, I, it's a theme I keep coming back to again and again in Kolchak, but the thing that occurred to me this time is it's like John Nathan Turner's decided that what Kolchak, the show, needs in order to be more dramatic is friction. And so it's, it, it, it's like... So my, 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 the equivalent thing that pops into my mind is, actually, how good an air hostess is Tegan? Probably not because, very good. Because one of the things an air hostess has to do is be civil to people who drive you mad. So, like, when she's talking to the doctor and she gets annoyed with him, does she bite, button her lip? Does she bite her tongue? Um, so yep. so it's, it, it's the squabbling that, I, that, that drives me nuts about this. It's not fun to watch when Kolchak is running around squabbling with the police captain or indeed squabbling with various other characters it's not a substitute for witty dialogue it's not a substitute for drama it's just like well i was i was going to say like kids but you know my five-year-old nephew doesn't behave like that he's not old enough to behave like that yet but he will no. well, <laughs> well it's it's certainly the kind of the, the kind of tiresome behavior that that you go into another room to avoid and uh it do, it doesn't seem to me the kind of thing that you want to put on screen as enjoyable television. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but I'm going to say, since you brought it up, it's not witty. There was some, I thought, amusing dialogue in the course of this episode. Um, I particularly like Tony's pointing out that having dum-dums on your staff is, he's as guilty as the next person. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I I enjoyed that, and I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not calling out the, the all the dialogue as being. I mean, I thought there were some good, there were some well written bits in this episode, and you know, although I've kind of criticised some of the characters, they're not as bad as we've seen sometimes. Right. Yeah, I just but, I thought this was a a, a weirdly sort of atypical episode. Um, again, like I said, I, I really wasn't seeing the supernatural. I mean, yes, I never had any doubt that they were truly trying to revive the god Nanoxidil, or whatever it is. Nanoxin. Mm -hmm. Noxonin. So I, I never had any doubt that this wasn't really Quetzalcoatl and, and Nanoxin um, battling it out, and that these were truly 
you know, worshippers who were carrying out this cult-like activity that was ultimately lead to a supernatural thing. Never had any doubt about that. Just really didn't expect him to appear. And I was also very surprised that the chief murderer, the high priest, who I assume is Mr. Anderson, but I don't know that, because we never met him. Yes. Not at all. And and he ran away at the end, and were they arrested? Did they, did anything happen? I don't know. Which that is just, which is kind of weird, and and you know the the again with the the kind of the the technical plot points, but the relationship with the women who are given to to Pepe, you know where where have they been recruited? And presumably that's by Anderson again, I guess. They did seem to be very highly. Um invested in what was going on so i'm wondering if they are you know not recruited but actual members of this cult, cult. yeah let's call it a cult the cult of the aztecs and that you know that they were let's call them priestesses that what they were so they were doing this exactly because that's what their religion said they should be doing and they seemed to kind of almost be in a position of power at one point during the course of the episode. I mean, it's very clear that they're running Pepe, um, you know, both in the episode, in the scenes where he's talking with Kolchak, you know, they're kind of, I wouldn't say guiding it, but, you know, they're, they're keeping did, an eye on what's I, going I'm sure on. I got that. I mean, maybe they were keeping an eye on, on what's going on, but. So I, it, he was the kept animal and they were the keepers. That was how my impression, not that they were his secretaries. My impression is that they were his keepers. Well, they clearly weren't, they clearly weren't his secretaries. That was, that was a cover. Yeah. But part of the deal was explicitly that he was given women. Right. Three specific ones. Yeah. Yeah. Again, is, is, is kind of, um, and they had names, hmm. and the university professor named them, and Kolchak was able to take those names and kind of oh, yes. match them up to the names of the three women in English. And so now, going back to that supernatural, were they actually not human? Were they part of this supernatural manifestation? Were they, na- were they named for their role? For their they? role, as from birth, yeah. Yeah. Or did they just legally mm. change their names to match what they needed for the to be the priests? I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there are lots of holes in this story, and um, yes, th- there's there's no doubt there's an oddities to it. And I didn't hate it. You know, when I was watching the, it, it, wasn't it wasn't one of those that I, I and I appreciated the fact that Kolchak talked that kid out of getting killed at the last minute. Well, I I going, mean, how hard could that be? Really, I was going. I was going to say that is that it's kind of slightly atypical because normally what would happen in a typical episode of Kolchak would be that he'd get his mallet and stake out mm-hmm. and start killing the monster himself, and he was put in a position where he couldn't kill the monster, even though Pepe was in peril at that moment. So he ends up doing the talking. That that's the that's the extent of it. His agency, and it's Pepe who who has to take the action, mm. 
and and then Kolchak kind of actually ends up falling down the stairs himself in a rather unimpressive stunt, and yes. then and then obviously we get the scene where I I thought the mummy looked a bit more crummy in the um, scenes where it was actually coming at him with a yeah. a sword. It yeah. was it was much it was again as with many of these things much better when it was used sparingly. Um, so seeing it in the cupboard was much more impressive than having it wandering around in a dressing gown. But so now go. now I'm kind of wondering if because my impression all the way through is that we were talking about a cult of people who are doing this to their thing. So therefore, again, no no supernatural. So Kolchak wouldn't have gone there expecting to kill off the mummy. He would have gone there trying to stop the sacrifice. So he did kind of a different mindset hmm. going into this situation. And it's only when the mummy pops up, uh, you know, what Kolchak knew is that he had to stop the sacrifice before 1210. He didn't, he wasn't expecting the mummy to stand up and walk at him. So he, he wasn't there on a murderous mission this time. So do you have any other points? Well, I think I think the only other the only other observation I had in this was that Vincenzo says, or at least Kolchak relates, that Vincenzo wanted him Kolchak to come and help <laughs> with the buttering up of the subscribers. Oh, yeah. And it made me just wonder how long has Vincenzo known Kolchak? <laughs> I mean, good point. Very good point. <laughs> what was he thinking? What was he thinking? And what's Kolchak's line? I promised Tony I'd have a haircut, a new hat, and a press suit, but I lie a lot. <laughs> it does bring up a question about the timing. So Kolchak arrives late, and then there's a murder, and that's the Green Beret. Mm-hmm. Then Kolchak comes back, meets Captain... What's her name? Timmins. Timmins. And then we see her murdered. Is that the same night? Because the conference is still going on, but a conference could be multiple days. But it was supposed to be like two days later because seven days, nine days. Oh, uh, yeah. Timing, timing didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Um, that, was, that was one plot hole that was just hidden behind all the other plot holes, plot holes. for me. <laughs> well, another thing that was uh, uh, interesting, um, the 52-year cycle. Obviously, we had an X-Files thingy that had to do with the end of the Mayan calendar, which was in some form of cyclical. You know, there was the the doomsday, the people who thought that the world was coming to an end at the Mayan calendar a few years ago. I can't even remember when it was because obviously it didn't come to an end because that's stupid. But, Mm -hmm. you know, these the the South Americans had this cyclical calendar that, that... you know, they'd reach a point, and basically it was a point where they just needed to make a new calendar. And um, I had something like it as a kid. It was a perpetual calendar. It went up to like the year 2001 or something, and then that was it. And be if you thought you were looking at that and it's the end of time itself, well, you probably think the Earth is flat too. Uh, I've never heard of a of an Aztec 52-year calendar or cyclical calendar. It's, it's funny well, no. that, that they picked the Aztecs. And they made this, I don't know, maybe they didn't make it up. I'll, I guess we should have looked. But they came up with this sort of millennium for the Aztec calendar, which is going to be in 2027. But we already know that there really was a Mayan calendar that ran out in the 2000s or something that was a, a cyclical. I'm wondering if they just made the Aztec one up 
because the Aztecs were known to practice human sacrifice, and I don't think the Mayans were as bloodthirsty. I, I'm not I'm 100% no sure. I'm no expert. I can't comment on this. <clears throat> I have a feeling that the Mayans also did sacrifices too, but the Aztecs are the ones you think of. Um, well, well, look at Doctor Who. They picked the Aztecs because that was a the blood sacrifice was a major uh, point, and they had the perfect sacrifice too, didn't they? Do you remember that from the episode? They had the guy who was going to go willingly at some point. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. So they didn't make it up out of whole cloth. There's there's something to it. Um, I also liked liked. I, I call note to the fact that 52 years ago, there was a series of murders. And then about 100 years ago, there was another series of murders. I thought it was interesting that Kolchak drew his 52-year cycle. If we were called the Night Strangler, or or even, I think, the pilot, the Ripper, you know, they were, they were very clear about going back. Oh, yeah, it's uh, 17 years, 17 years, 17 years, 17 years. And this one is like 52 years, and then about 100 I mean, it adds a little bit more veracity to to it. It's like, yeah, we heard yeah, about this yeah. thing about a hundred years ago, so it's like, oh, see, that could have been a hundred and four. We're not a, we're not absolutely sure, but it could have been hundred and four. Um, one last observation, and then I am absolutely done. When Kolchak says at the end, you know, did he get enough to sustain him to last fifty two years? I won't be around to see it. Did Kolchak see the mummy's eyes open in the last scene? No. Did you see it? Yes. Okay. I don't ever recall but why, that. But why yet. would Kolchak have seen it? Well, he was standing right there, wasn't he? Wasn't he standing well, over the mummy when he said that? Well, was, I won't be here in 52 years. And then the mummy's eyes go, bloop. Like, but he wasn't looking at it, was he? Uh, well, I don't know. Because they turned the camera. So he might, he might have been, might or might not. Oh, I guess he's he right there. He he's right next to a mummy that tried to kill him. I kind of would be keeping my eye on it, I have to say. Well, yeah, but I would kind of expect to hear a reaction. Or I, I assumed he hadn't seen it. I assumed that was a nod. So, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, unless you have anything else. No, I'm, I'm all out after that. That one. Uh, the next episode of The Night Stalker is The Nightly Murders, or The Knightly Murders, as it's spelled with a <laughs> K. <laughs> Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, FusionPatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at FusionPatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.